going to be looking in a little more detail at uh, the five paradigms for transformation as uh, proposed by uh, Ed Silvoso in his book Transformation that we've been examining as a church and uh, some exciting things in that and uh, tonight I want us to look at the biblical background to these um, principles because if it's not in the Bible we're not interested, Amen. You want to say amen to that? Yeah. Praise God. Just testing see if you're awake. So if it's not in the Bible, we're not interested in these things. But if it is in the Bible, then we need to know about them. And so we're going to be looking at the biblical basis for the five paradigms and the whole aspect of what it means to be involved in nation transformation. So the five principles, and there's no... Uh, projector slide tonight because it's been a busy week, too many birthdays and anniversaries and all that kind of stuff, so there's just not been any time to do all of this. But we'll have it ready for next week, don't worry. The five paradigms for nation transformation are number one, we are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. The second one, the marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed by Jesus and now it needs to be reclaimed. The third principle, every Christian is a minister and labour is worship. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Next time you go to work, don't moan about it, you're worshipping Jesus. It's good, isn't it? Fourth principle, we are called to take the kingdom of God to where the gates of hell are so that Jesus can build his church. And the last principle is nation transformation must be tangible and the premier social indicator is the elimination of a systemic poverty. Right? So there's a lot there and we're going to start with number one tonight and have a, a more in-depth look. It's probably going to take two or three weeks to cover number one. So tonight we are looking at, we are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. So what is nation transformation? What does it mean? Because this, I believe, is what God wants us to be involved in as a church. Not just this church, but the churches all throughout the world. What God has commissioned us to do as a church is to be involved in nation transformation. Now even though as an individual Christian, I have very little apparent influence on the world stage, Yet through God's power, I believe that my prayers are effective to change nations. Do you believe that? Yeah? That our prayer can make a difference. Now, yesterday, we had a visit from the mayor of Phuket at the children's home. And uh, we, uh, the, the newly elected mayor. And uh, we had, he stayed for over an hour. And he was chatting with the kids, he was chatting with uh, On, he was chatting with me. Um, different people, he, he got to meet some members of the PACE team, nearly all of them but one. But, uh, 
uh, and he was just uh, started to share the fact that his mother had been healed when some Christians had prayed for him, prayed for her. And uh, so that was, that was a great start to know that the new mayor is sympathetic towards Christians. Isn't that great? Now, the other good news is that he's coming to church next celebration. Just heard about it. So he will be in church. He's coming to worship. Actually, when he got to Sussex House, he says, where did we worship? And I said, well, well you know, I said, we worship everywhere, but this, this is the children's home. The church is separate. So, but he wanted to know because he wanted to come to join him with worship. And uh, he knows uh, Ian as well. So uh, you tell your dad that uh, the mayor's coming celebration the end of the month so praise the lord that's that's good news and remember at valentine's day when we had the deputy chief of police in well his wife's rung up and she wants to come along as well uh, uh i think it's her birthday and she wants to come and give some gifts to the kids but she wants to come along and see everyone again uh, because they haven't forgotten the blessing that they receive from us on valentine's night isn't that great so the police and the local government, praise the Lord, are interested in the church. It's good, right? Because transformation involves the whole of society, not just within these four walls. So God is doing some great things. And we have to believe that even though we might feel as though we can't change a lot, yet through God all things are possible. So what is nation transformation? The obvious answer is to bring change to the nations. But we're not talking about revolution in a political sense. We're talking about seeing the kingdom of God established in the nation. When I went to Hawaii and we had a worship time in uh, the uh, government, central government building in, in the middle of Honolulu, we had the, the, uh, the governor of Phuket who is uh, a Democrat, the vice governor, who is a Republican, and all the delegates, the Republicans and the delegates, all together, all worshipping God. The governor led the worship, and the deputy governor led the prayers. And it wasn't about what politics it got, it was the fact that no matter what your politics, you can still love Jesus. Incredible. And that's what we, that's what we want to see happen. It does, it's not about politics. We're not bringing political change to the nation. What we're bringing is transformation from within each individual person. And that's what God wants for this nation and for every other nation. Whether you're visiting us or whether you make Phuket as your home, your nation needs transformation. The reason why we're taking a faith promise to send people to Argentina is that Argentina is a country that is experiencing transformation. 60% of the people worshipping God. Incredible sense of uh, the power of God in that nation. And so we want some of our leaders to experience that. And so we're going to be helping them to go to Argentina in October to experience that. And what God does in them they can bring back for God to do in you. If you think what's happened in the church since I've been to Argentina, then imagine what's going to happen when 14 people go. Praise the Lord. And maybe it's your turn next year. Hallelujah.
So support the people to go this year because they'll be supporting you to go next year. So that's good, isn't it? Well, I think it is. But perhaps maybe in a few years' time, the folks from Argentina will be coming to Phuket to experience real revival. So we're believing for the nations of the world to be restored by the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. When we took communion tonight, it's something special for each one of us as individuals, but when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for individual people. It was for the whole of creation. The whole of creation. And so is this vision biblical I'm amazed at the timing of God because as I've been preparing to bring this message uh, I got a parcel in fact I get a parcel every year from a from an organization um, from uh, what's the name of the organization where is it um, sovereign world trust uh, based in the UK and what they do is they send uh, books out to churches uh, all around the world that have libraries. So we've got a library, so we get a box of books every year. We get about 20 books every year from this, this organization. It's very good. They send us some good things. And so a lot of the books we've got up there have been donated over the years from Sovereign World Trust. And right at the bottom of the box, as I was taking these books out uh, and having a look and thinking, mm, yeah, I might read that one, uh, and different things like that, right at the bottom was this book and it's a Bible so I thought oh I wonder what kind of Bible that is and it's a chronological Bible right so how many people are lost with the word chronological anybody no okay it basically means a Bible that is written as it happened and so for example most Bibles when you open them begin with Genesis 1 verse 1 but this one begins with John 1, verses 1 and 2. Right? Because it happened before Genesis 1, verse 1. It wasn't written before, but it happened before. Do you know what I mean? For example, let me read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is talking about the living Word of God, Jesus, being around before the creation of the world. Okay, so then you might think, okay, let's go, let's let's get on with Genesis. But no, the next verse, verse three in this Bible, is Psalm ninety, verse two. Right, and Psalm ninety, verse two says, "Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God." So that's talking about something before God created the the heavens and the earth, and so it. That comes next. Verse 4 is Genesis 1, verse 1. <laughs> so, if you want, if you don't bring a Bible like this to church, because if someone says we're going to read from a certain verse, you'll never find it. It's, it's, it's all mixed up. So, we've got Genesis 1, verse 1, but before we get to verse 2, we've got uh, uh, quite a few verses from Isaiah and a few verses from Ezekiel. <laughs> but in between, uh, um, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Something happened between those two verses. Right? And quite a lot happened, actually. And we're going to look at what happened because it is all to do with transformation. And it's incredible. I've not really seen this before this week. I've, I, I know verses and stuff, but I've never really sort of seen it put so simply in my mind when I've just seen the chronological order of events involved in God's creation. And this is incredible. Now, when you see all the verses of the Bible in chronological order, you get a picture that you might not otherwise see. First of all, the chronological Bible affirms that God is the creator of all things. Anyone say amen to that? Right, now there's a lot of people who claim that God has not created the heavens and the earth. But the Bible makes it very clear. And unless you really believe that God created this earth and everything in it, you're going to find it difficult to believe that God can transform it. Because a lot of transforming needs to take place. So God was in the beginning and he created everything. The word of God, Jesus, was in existence before the creation of the world. In fact, his word was the creating force behind the foundation of everything in the universe. And if that is true, and Jesus lives in you and me, then the creative power of God is alive in you and me. And that makes all the difference in the fact that this insignificant person, maybe it's me, maybe it's you, can make a difference because the one who created the heaven and earth lives in your heart. So then God is in existence, and the next thing he does is create the heavens and the earth. Now the next event recorded is found in Isaiah chapter 14. Now if you want to follow this message tonight with your Bibles then you need to have one finger in Isaiah 14 and another finger in Ezekiel 28. What we're going to look at tonight might be a little bit difficult to understand but it is, incredible, it is an incredible revelation that will help us to understand how God can help us to see nations transformed. Now I'm very, reading from verse 12, Isaiah 14, verse 12. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. Now, this is an amazing verse 
because it tells us something about the fall of Satan, the devil, and his influence in the world. It calls Satan a destroyer of nations. And we're looking at the subject of nation transformation. Now there's a little link there, can you, can you spot it? Right? If Satan is the, the destroyer of nations and we are the transformer of nations, then there's some kind of link there in God's total purpose for the world. Isaiah says he is the, mo the shining morning star. The Hebrew word there is Hillel, which is normally translated as Lucifer, or morning star. It's amazing to me that one of the Christian schools in Phuket is called the morning star school, when it's actually referring to Lucifer. But that uh, pretty good, eh? But never mind. Um, <laughs> and some of our kids go there. Where are you going? I'm going to Satan's school, praise the Lord. Now in the context of Isaiah's writing, he's actually referring to the king of Babylon, who is at that time Nebuchadnezzar. But it also carries with it a revelation into the power behind Nebuchadnezzar, and that power is the devil. Because there are certain things ascribed to this person that's been described in, in uh, Isaiah and also the person being described in Ezekiel that cannot be descriptive of a human person. It could only be some supernatural being. How can a man fall from the heavens? It's not possible, it wasn't possible then anyway because they didn't have aeroplanes. So it's not possible for someone to fall from the heavens. It's not being, it, it, it could be said to have been, been descriptive, but there are several different things that you see in these passages that cannot possibly refer to a man. Rather, they refer to the influence behind the earthly man. And in this case, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. In the case of Ezekiel, when we look at, the, uh, at Ezekiel 28, it is uh, the king of Tyre. Now, Satan is a deceiver and he's someone who manipulates people by deception. And so basically he's the one who stands behind the evil deeds done by King Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Tyre. And so even though in the general context Isaiah is talking about the king of Babylon, Ezekiel is talking about the king of Tyre, but we can see that in the context, spiritually context, he's actually addressing the person or the being behind them, the one who supplies the power, the one who's giving the influence of evil, and that is Satan. He deceived Adam and Eve, who were created, per, per, uh, created perfect by God, and he's been deceiving people ever since. And his main area of influence is upon nations and their leaders. 
So it's not too hard to see that the influence behind Nebuchadnezzar's heresy would be Satan himself. I, I've only ever actually met one person who claims to have met Lucifer or Satan. Now I've seen a lot of demonic activity. I mean, every October, if you're here in October, you'll see plenty of that. And I've seen people set free by the power of God. But I can safely say that I've never actually come up against Satan himself. But I did once meet a man. I was sat in a meeting as he was teaching. And he related to us. Uh, about a hundred people there were all pastors actually. And he was a, a guy that was talking to us and addressing us. Probably the most famous Christian who's alive today. Billy Graham. And he said one day, Satan appeared to him and said that he would offer him anything that he wanted if he would bow down and worship Satan. And so, Billy Graham said, not interested. I've already decided I'm going to follow Jesus. But he said he, he actually met him in a room. He appeared to him. But other than that, I don't know anybody who's ever, meet, ever met Satan. You know why? Because he's concentrating on leaders of nations. Satan deals with leaders of nations. People in authority. People with the ability to mould an entire people group. And so we need to pray for our leaders. Praise God that the mayor's coming to our celebration service at the end of this month. That's good, isn't it? We need to pray for him. It was great that we were, I was able to lay hands on him yesterday and pray for him. And that's God's blessing upon him. And that was fantastic. Because everyone else joined in. And I really believe that God's going to bless him. And the result is he's contacted us since yesterday and said, I'm coming to church. Isn't that great? So his name's uh, Pai Boon, is it? Pai Boon? That's right. So pray for Kun Pai Boon, the mayor. Now, the name Lucifer, or Morning Star, gives us a picture of Satan before the fall. In the book of Ezekiel, we see that he's actually called the guardian cherub. Anointed guardian cherub, which is incredible. That's, in ver that's Ezekiel 28, verse 14. He was positioned on the holy mountain of God. Let me tell you, this is no ordinary angel. This is a, a very, very important position because if you are a cherub... Your role is to guard the holiness of God. You guard the holiness of God. You are the angel that prevents any evil being approaching the throne of God. If you try, if you're evil and you try to approach God, a cherub will come chop your head off. Right? You cannot get there. That is what the cherub does. And Lucifer, according to Ezekiel, was... An anointed guardian cherub. 
Whenever you read about them, you read about the cherubs are surrounding the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. In the book of uh, 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 Revelation, you read about them in Daniel. They are guarding the holiness of God. And this was Satan's position when he was created by God. He wasn't always evil. Ezekiel 28 verse 12 says he was the perfection of wisdom and beauty. This cannot refer to the king of Tyre who was a man. Because Romans 3.23 says that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's impossible for any man to be the perfection of wisdom and beauty. Apart from Jesus. He was created to be adorned with gold and many precious stones. Wilmington's Guide to the Bible says this. Ezekiel describes the pride of Ithabal II, who was the ruler of Tyre at the time. But the prophet now moves beyond the earthly scene and describes for us the creation and fall of a violent, vicious, non-human, angelic creature. This fearful being is Satan himself, the real force behind the wickedness of Tyre. Now wonder Isaiah proclaims, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. And now, Satan has become the destroyer of nations. The original intention of God for Satan was corrupted when Satan fell from heaven. Now next week, I'm going to tell you what he did wrong. I'm going to tell you about the sin of Satan because it's just unbelievable what he did. A lot of people would say that it was all to do with pride. Pride does enter into it, but pride didn't just come overnight. It just didn't become proud. He was doing other things. And it was actually his corruption of things by making himself wealthy that made him feel proud. And uh, most people have a picture of heaven that we're sort of sitting on the clouds playing a harp. I mean, what do, you, what do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? Because, I mean, if that's all it is, right, it's pretty boring, isn't it? Right? I know, I mean, I like playing the guitar, but I don't fancy playing it 24-7. My fingers that have calluses on them are bigger than, bigger than my head. Grief. Right? Some, there's some incredible things going to go on in heaven. Amazing things. And we get a picture in the Bible, actually, of what went on in heaven before the fall. There was trade in heaven before the fall. Did you know that? There was an exchange of goods in heaven before the fall. And we're going to look at that next week. But Satan's corruption has changed the world. And the church has been commissioned to put things right. Something happened on the cross greater than we can ever imagine. 
because it was the cross that was the turning point in history that turned what had been corrupted, that turned the, the, the tide of history around so that from now on it is possible for us to allow God's creative power to restore that which has been corrupted. And it is your commission and my commission and every single church on the face of this earth. It's our commission to put things right. Ezekiel says, incredible, that Satan will be humbled by nations that will rise up against him. In chapter 28 he says, Pretty sure it's not in the um, bit I've got here. Okay, hallelujah. In 28, somebody tell me the, where this verse is. I'm going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. Anyone see that? Verse 7. Yeah, I was going to say 7. Praise the Lord. And that's not fantasy. Hallelujah. So I'm going to bring foreigners against you. In verse 7, the most ruthless of nations, they will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. In other words, the very thing that Satan has corrupted will be restored to defeat him. Isn't that incredible? That the nations are going to defeat him. This is an amazing thing that we read about in Ezekiel. Through the work of Jesus Christ and his church, the world will be redeemed and the nations transformed to show their original purpose. The wrong has been, that has been done can be undone because through Jesus, God is giving us the authority and power to restore nations. The creative power of God flows through every believer. Do you believe that? Which is why when you pray in faith, incredible answers to prayer happen. That's a, I just find it just so incredible. When before Zor went to Burma and, and we, we saw on the news how lots of on TV news, how lots of damage had been done when, when we prayed for Zor and we asked God's protection upon his mother and his brother and he gets to the village and there's only one house that hasn't been damaged and it's his house. Now either you believe in the power of prayer or you don't. But I find that just incredible. And not one of our Burmese folks have lost anyone. Is that right? 
We prayed for our Burmese congregation and all their families are safe. And including several families that live in the Erewadi Delta. That's right, right? It's God's good. Isaiah 14, 17. You've got to keep flicking backwards and forwards because I'm just doing different bits from the both, both chapters. Verse 17 says, we're just reading from uh, um, verse 16 actually. Is this the man who caused the earth to tremble and shook the kingdoms, who turned the world into a wilderness, who trampled its cities? So, Nebuchadnezzar is being called a trampler of cities, but we know that the person behind Nebuchadnezzar is Satan, and so Satan is being called a trampler of cities. Someone who comes and stamps all over a city and puts his mark on that city. But you know God has given us the vision to say that my city is God's city. And it's our commission to pray for our city and restore our city. And see our city set free from the corruption of the enemy. Talking before the service that there's a lot of stuff going on in Phuket. There's a lot of stuff goes on in Patong. And we need God to bring change because... Humanly it's humanly impossible to bring that kind of change. Only God can do it by changing hearts. You know, if you're as old as me or older, praise the Lord, there was a time when there was no one, well, for many years in this church, there was no one Older than me. Praise the Lord, there are people older than me now. Hallelujah. Because it makes me feel young again. And if you're the oldest person here, well, we've got some older people who come in the morning. We've got 85, 86-year-olds in the morning, so praise the Lord. So you're not the oldest, so it's all right, great. And they're great. And they're worshipping God and praising God, and they feel like teenagers, so it's good. They're, they're ageless as a Christian. Because you're going to live forever anyway, so why worry about it? Hallelujah. But it's incredible. If you're as old as me, you will know that we've passed through recession before. And every time, every time you open a newspaper or turn on the TV or listen to the radio, it's, oh, the price of oil has gone up again. And uh, in Thailand, the big, you know, the price of rice has gone up. And there's a lot of talk about recession. I've had, it, it's been a lot, of, there's been a lot of talk about recession ever since the tsunami. It's just been one thing after another, after another, after another. But if things are that bad, 
Why are new buildings going up all over Phuket? Money's coming from somewhere. The big homeworks place that's going up is supposed to be the biggest one there is. And there's all kinds of things going up. They're, they're, they're building a new hotel, uh, which is, somebody's told me, it's seven stars. Well, five stars are expensive enough. And there is a six-star hotel in Phuket, but what's the seven stars? Only angels can stay there. No one can be afford to pay for a seven-star hotel. What are the, the gates of gold? It must be heaven. So, there's money around. Let me tell you, there is no recession in heaven. There never has been, and there never will be. Do you hear what I'm saying? So if you trust in God, if your hope is in God, His promises to you, to help you, to bless you, to give you all that you need, are true. Right? Now I'm not a name it, claim it guy. I don't believe in prosperity teaching at all. I'm not one of those kind of folks, but I do believe that God will help us in everything that we need. Right? Not everything that we want, that's a different thing. But everything that we need. I want a Mercedes, but I'm not going to get one. Praise the Lord. But I need a car, and without looking anywhere, Isuzu gave me one. Praise the Lord. Didn't even have to raise the money for it. Instead, I went to raise the money to help rebuild schools. Praise the Lord. So God knew what I needed, and it was provided. And in the same way, God knows your need, and if you trust Him, and you surrender everything to him, he will provide for you. In every aspect of your life. Everything that you need, he will not, God does not send out ill-equipped troops. But he always equips his troops with everything they need to do his work. The problems arise when we still love him, but when we try to sort it out ourselves. And we try to make provision our own way. And God just lets us get on with it. When we make a mess of it, either we'll see, I should have trusted God, or we'll complain. And things won't get any better. But if we come back and repent and surrender ourselves to God, then God will restore us to where he wants us to be. It sounds very glib to say that. But it's glib because it's simple. It's just simple. It just takes us a long time to learn it. There's nothing hard, understanding-wise, about faith. It's simple faith. What makes it hard is because we often have to surrender things to have that faith. But I believe that God will provide for us. You know, in times of recession, it's very easy to look into the word of God and quote verses that says, Oh my people, please bear with me over this next short period of time. Because the Lord your God is a bit strapped for cash. And I can't help you out at this moment. 
Now, if you're reading that, I suggest that that might be somewhere in the Apocrypha, but it ain't in my Bible. My Bible actually says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Right? God talks about his riches. Hallelujah. But as we only see, we see a news program and we forget all the promises of the Bible and we start thinking, how are we going to make ends meet? And the first thing that goes is your tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I had a, gr- a good friend, he was a very good friend, because he used to pick me up, take me to church every week, because I lived 15 miles away from church, so he used to come and pick me up. He was a great friend. And he bought a new car. And then he told Pastor Peter, remember Pastor Peter, he used to be my pastor, right? Those of you were a few weeks ago when he came. And he told Pastor Peter, I can't afford to tithe anymore. Right? Now, that's really sad. Because basically what you're saying is, I cannot afford to live under the covering of God on my life anymore. I cannot afford to trust God with everything anymore. I cannot afford to put him first in my life anymore. That's what you're saying. Because as far as I'm concerned, I I cannot afford not to. If I don't put God first, I'll be dead. The number of bullets that people have shot at me, I'll be de- they would have hit if I wasn't under the power, of, under the anointing and covering of God. Ever been shot at? Well, if you haven't, well, I can tell you a few places to go where you will be. <laughs> In my naivety, I once went to Patong to video and expose um, child prostitution. <laughs> I'm going to put a stop to this. God, go on. So I'm armed with my video camera and had, if you know what a Mac 10 is, pointed at me and the guy pulled the trigger. And I can see the bullets coming. But they didn't hit me. Why? Because even though I was stupid, right, sometimes the big S on your chest stands for stupid. <laughs> Yet, God protected me. Incredible. I was once shot at by a load of Burmese bandits as well. Well, You didn't know that, did you? (laughs) Praise God. But one of them, he he (laughs) fired the gun and the gun blew up. And, you know, why did it happen then? Because I believe God's protection was on me. And look, that's, that's a lot of real in-your-face kind of stuff. But a lot of the time when God's protection is on you, you don't even know that you've been protected. You know that? You have no idea that God has protected you. Listen, the best insurance agency in the world is the, is the kingdom of God, not AIA. Hallelujah. I can say it tonight, but I couldn't say it this morning because we've got some people who work for AIA who come to church in the morning. But I'll say it tonight. Hallelujah. We, we pay loads of money for insurance and yet 
when the crunch comes, when the recession presses in and we don't know where we're going to get our next plate of cowpat from. First thing we stop doing is giving to God. Hallelujah. Does anybody know what I mean out there or am I just preaching to the wall? Hallelujah. Yeah, it's right, isn't it? I don't know how I can give this. It should be number one. Number one is giving to God because unless you do that, you're not under his protection. And when you honor God, he will honor you. It's a biblical principle. Now, we've looked a lot about Satan tonight and about his fall and about his influence on the nations. But I don't want us going home thinking, oh dear. You're going to be looking around the corner of the cupboard when you go, before you turn, you're going to be sleeping with a light on tonight if you're not married. Right? You, no, you don't need to do that. Why? Because of what we celebrated tonight. He is defeated. Amen? We're on the winning side. He's lost. Okay? All you have to do with Satan is resist him and he goes. Billy Graham said he sent him packing. There was a, there was a, a famous preacher in, in England by the name of uh, Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah? A few people. And he had an encounter with God, with, with Satan as well. He had, a, he had a big encounter with God, but he had an encounter with Satan one day. And he was woken up out of his sleep. And he looked. And Satan was at the foot of the bed going, uh, 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 or whatever he does. Right? <laughs> Maybe he was rapping, I don't know. <laughs> but he was at the foot of the bed. And Smith Wigglesworth, who completely, totally trusted God, and he did incredible miracles. One of my friends, his whole family, and I'm talking 40 people, were crammed into a bedroom, and their father was sick and dying, and they called Smith Wigglesworth into the room, and he prayed for the dying man, and he was raised up. I don't mean... He felt better and sort of lied there saying, I feel much better now, thank you. No, he got up. I mean, it was a miracle, real miracle. He got up out of bed and that was it. Great, went to work. Right? And the whole family, his name was Hibbert, the whole family got saved, 40 of them. And the, the guy, the, the little boy who was in the room, that went, went on his holidays with, with uh, Smith Wigglesworth. And he was seven. Right? And he used to be our world missions director. David knows him. And Nick and Sarah know him. Right? Ron Hibbert, his name is. And he was seven when this happened, when he saw this. And all the family in the bedroom, the whole lot of them gave their lives to Jesus. And ten of them are pastors. Incredible what happened in the room with Smith Wigglesworth. And he went, used to go on his holidays when he was seven. Well, he went on his holidays when he was seven. He only had one holiday. <laughs> and he went with Smith Wigglesworth and, he, and, and his aunt had bought him a bucket and spade to play on the sand and make sand castles. 
And Smith Wigglesworth says, put that foolish thing away. Come with me, we'll save souls. So he never got to go on the beach. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but Smith Wigglesworth just turned over. He saw Satan at the foot of the bed, and he turned over, and he says, oh, not you again. Went back to sleep. Isn't that incredible? How could you do that? By being totally confident in who God is in you. It's the only way. And we need to be confident in who God is in us. And then we will see nation transformation. We will see things change. Now you don't have to go out with your S on your shirt and go and do some stupid things. I've been there. I've done it and I've survived. I advise you not to try it again. Right? All I've got on my video, by the way, when I went there, down Patong, we're in the back streets of Patong, to this place that was all shuttered up, where men from around the world come on holiday and can go in to have sex with little kids. It still goes on, you know. It's not all cleared up. It still goes on. Not so much as it used to, but it's still there. All I got on the video was me falling back and a picture of the building going up and then the sky. That was it. So that was a waste of time, wasn't it? And I nearly got killed. God's protection we needed. We needed. Cannot live without it. But the good thing is, when Jesus is in you, you're a winner, not a loser. We're all winners. And we're in the business of transforming people, of transforming cities, transforming nations, transforming the world. Because that's what Satan attacked when he fell. And that's what, through the, through the victory of Jesus on the cross, we as the church have been empowered to bring transformation. This is exciting stuff. And it's biblical. Hallelujah. It's good, isn't it? So next week, we're going to talk about trade, the economy, what the devil's done to it, and how we have been called to reclaim the marketplace for Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. God wants us to prosper as, a na as nations. He wants us to prosper as nations. He wants the church to cause the nations to prosper. Hallelujah. Because as we prosper as a people of God, then we can do one of the other paradigms, the final paradigm, we can eliminate poverty. What a fantastic goal that is. You might think it's impossible, but you know the world has enough to feed everybody. It's just that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that is the plan of Satan. That is the Babylonian system. And it's incredible. When we refer to the Babylonian system, when we look here, that Satan was the person behind Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Right? right at the start of the Bible, when we read it in chronological order. The Lord bless you. Let's just pray. Ask God to help us with this, because it might be cutting against some of your theology certainly brought a lot of changes in my life but I 
will change as long as the word of God tells me to change. When we meet something new, we have to ask ourselves, is this an opinion I hold because I'm comfortable with that opinion? Or is it an opinion I hold because it is the truth that I have gained from reading God's word? And so we need to allow the word of God to fashion the way we think, the way we live, what we do. Twenty years I've been ministering in Thailand. I've never seen such impact on education, government, the marketplace, as I have since we've been studying this. Incredible. God help us to understand what you're teaching us and have the courage and faith to apply it in our lives and to believe that all things are possible. What is impossible for man to do, it's possible for God to do even through us. So Lord God, we open our hearts to you. And when we, ask, we ask you, Lord, to challenge us and to believe that you can be, bring transformation to this city of ours, to this nation of ours, to this world. Because we can see that you've commissioned us to undo what Satan has, 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 has done through his destructive influence and continues to do. We pray, Lord God, you'll bring peace to this island. You'll bring peace in many situations. We pray for the, for the, for the mayor, Lord God, as he's shown an interest and he, he, he's asked for prayer. And so as a church, right, we gather together in, in your name, Lord, and we pray for, for, for Mayor Pyburn in Jesus' name. And we say, Lord God, bless him. Give him wisdom that comes from you. We pray that you'll cause him to be a man who will be just and fair in all he does. And we pray, Lord God, you would even cause him to come to know you. But we ask, Lord, in accordance with his request, help him and guide him with the decisions that he has to make. Help him to lead this city. So that this city becomes your city in Jesus' name. Help him to be the catalyst that would cause a lot of change to happen. So that your name will be glorified over this island. And that your peace will be established. Your kingdom come here, Lord God. On earth as it is in heaven. So many times we prayed that even as kids at school. We prayed the Lord's Prayer and not really understood exactly what we prayed. We're praying transformation. Lord God, help us to see it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.